our hope is built on you, that in a world of sinking sand, that your love is that solid rock that we can always rely on, that always supports us. We hold on to your hand today. We lean into your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And we pray for um, a fresh revelation from you, Father. We love you and we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Well, there are a couple of opportunities that I want to make sure that you know about. Um, One is simply an announcement. Uh, There is a workshop on August the 29th called Healthy Marriages, and it will focus on communication between couples. It only costs $25. It's $35 with child care. And it is, it, the, our teachers will be Craig and Trisha Taylor. Trisha Taylor co-authored the book A Leader's Journey with Jim Harrington. And she also co-authored the faith-walking material that we use. Uh, but beyond that, I've stayed in their home, and they're a lot of fun. So it is a good deal. If you're available on the 29th of January, I want you to know about that. The other thing that you need to know um, is more immediate. (laughs) Preaching this morning in the sanctuary is a man named Peter Story. And Peter Story is a Methodist bishop from South Africa. But when he was a young pastor, he was a chaplain at Robben Island to Nelson Mandela. And so if you have a chance at 11, or if you want to get up and leave right now, I completely understand I heard him preach at 8.30. His message kind of disturbed me on a couple of levels. I can promise you that I will keep you awake. But if your life needs to be disturbed a bit, please go and hear Peter's story. He's talking about God's call and what it is to hear God's call in your life. Okay, our scripture passage is from the first book of the Old Testament, Genesis, chapter 32. And we have 22 through 32. Would you read the scripture passage with me? During the night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrestled it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked, and he replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with man, and you have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. And he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. 
Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. That's Genesis chapter 32. A couple of years ago, in the middle of the night, I woke up suddenly because I heard the back door open and close, and the alarm to the house began to screech. I sat straight up in bed. I knew immediately that there was an intruder in the house. My husband continued to sleep. He's a real deep sleeper. (laughs) So I shook him with urgency. I said, Keith, wake up. Someone's in the house. Wake up. I was afraid, and I was alone, and I was bracing for an attack. I think that this was how Jacob felt. In chapter 32 of Genesis, Jacob is on his way back to the promised land to meet his brother Esau. But the backstory is that years before, more than 20 years before, Jacob has tricked Esau. In fact, one translation of the Bible, Jacob's name is translated trickster because he tricked his older brother Esau out of his birthright. So Jacob sends messengers ahead to tell Esau that he is coming and that he's returning home a wealthy man. These messengers return to Jacob and they tell Jacob that Esau is coming to meet him with a welcoming party of 400 men. This is not good news for Jacob. This is cause, I think, for fear and distress. 400 men with Esau doesn't sound much like a party. It sounds more like an army. So Jacob, the trickster, begins to devise a plan. From his own livestock, he selects a very generous gift. Sheep, goats, camels, donkeys. And he puts these animals in the care of his servants. And he sends his servants on ahead to meet his brother. Then he follows the servants with his family. It's like he's putting some padding between his brother and himself. So then that night, the scripture tells us that Jacob is left alone. He's alone on the shore of the Jabbok. The text doesn't tell us how Jacob feels about this solitude, but I'm willing to guess that he's a little uneasy and pretty apprehensive about what's coming. I suspect that he's not at all surprised when there is an attack because he's probably been bracing for the struggle. Have you ever been wrestled to the ground on a dark shore? Many years ago, I sat with a 30-something friend over lunch and we planned his funeral His doctors had made the diagnosis of cancer, and they were telling him now that the disease had him pinned. I've seen faithful people overcome by many different situations, financial strain, struggles in relationship, or struggles to overcome addiction. You know, I know good Christian people who don't have perfect children. And I know good Christian adult children 
who didn't have perfect childhoods. For the last few years, I've been involved in the faith walking course here at our church, which you probably have heard involves practicing the spiritual disciplines, learning something about what it means to be in relationship with other people, and then reflecting on your practice of prayer or another spiritual discipline and reflecting on your practice of relationship with a coach. My coach is a guy in Houston named Todd McCombs. And I noticed from the very beginning that when I would share something that was difficult for me or a place where I was struggling, Coach Todd's reaction was always, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. And initially I thought, oh, poor Todd, he's just a business guy. He didn't know about empathy or compassion like I do. But later I figured out that Todd was exactly right. He was practicing the truth of this scripture passage. It's a good thing to shine the light on where I'm struggling in my life. It's a good thing to uncover where there's a wrestling match, to see where life is difficult. Because those are the places where God inevitably puts blessing. When Jacob is wrestled to the ground by an unnamed assailant, we aren't certain of the man's identity. You know, scripture doesn't tell us who this is. In fact, the coloring pages that you can pick up or have already picked up suppose that this man who wrestles with Jacob is an angel. Is it Esau? Is it an angel? Is it somebody from Esau's army? We don't know. But there are, I think, a few clues in the scripture passage that are important to pay attention to. The first is that this man, this attacker, blesses Jacob. So it would be unusual, I think, for someone from Esau's army to bless Jacob. The second thing that the scripture passage tells us is that this man is elusive, at best, about his own name. When Jacob asks his name, he replies, why do you ask my name? The third thing that we see in the scripture passage is that this attacker is the one who has the power to change Jacob's name. And this is really significant. This may be our strongest clue in the passage about who this attacker is. Every person in the Bible who is given a new name is named by the presence of God. So in this particular passage, the man says, you are no longer Jacob, but you are Israel because you have striven with God and humans and you have prevailed. And then the fourth thing that I see in this passage is that this man is one that Jacob does not see in the sunlight. This wrestling match happens at night. So the implication is that seeing God face to face in the day would be a deadly undertaking. And yet, nevertheless, Jacob names this place Peniel, a place where I have seen God face to face and my life has been preserved. So I really believe that the attacker in this passage is the divine presence, is God, him or herself. Many things can be said about the God of Genesis, but that God is passive or God just oversees what happens in our life is not one of them. The Lord God is caught up in the relationship with his covenant people and the Lord God struggles. But it's important to notice, I think, Jacob's role in this struggle. 
it's important to notice that Jacob takes part in the struggle, that he takes part in this wrestling match, so much so that the man says to him, that God says to him, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go. I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob says this after God wrenches his hip. So in pain, Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now this very easily, I think, could have gone another way. If I were Jacob, I can see several different scenarios in this scripture story. When confronted, Jacob could have screamed and run the other direction, away from the promised land. I like that. I like to avoid. I like to do flight. I like to run away from pain. Or Jacob could have gone beyond the struggle to a last man standing kind of fight, you know, to the death match. Or Jacob could have whined, that hurts. Don't do that. I don't like to hurt. I don't like pain. Stop that. Jacob doesn't whine either. Jacob is a wrestler. And while the Hebrew name for Israel is disputed, many suggest that it does mean to struggle. It's easy for me to imagine the Israelites hearing this story for the very first time and saying, this is an unusual story. This is no ordinary story. And this is no ordinary God that we're dealing with. And beyond that, this is no ordinary man that we're talking about. Jacob is different. Jacob is our father. There's something of Jacob that the early Israelites would have desired to claim and that we want to claim too. And I believe it's a quality for us to strive for, to think of being in a struggle with God. Not to sit by passively, not to run away scared. Not to go for the kill, or worse yet, just ignore God, but hang in there, risking it all and demanding a blessing. This is an important biblical story to me because I think it addresses two big theological issues. The first is the issue of identity. I think this story talks about God's identity, and it talks about our identity as well. God is present And God is engaged in my life. In the New Testament, Romans says nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the truth of scripture. That God is present and God is engaged in my life and nothing that I can do can separate God from me. The second thing it says about God is that there's a mystery to the divine that I just can't quite comprehend. Paul wrote in Corinthians, now we see through glass darkly, but then we will see face to face. There's a mystery to this stranger, a mystery to this unnamed man in Genesis 32. We don't see all of who God is. We don't know all of what God is about. Anyone who claims to know, I would tell you, is a trickster. Then I believe this scripture story also talks about our identity. And what it says about our identity is simply, it reminds me to hang in there with God in all of life's struggles. That in the struggle there is a blessing. And the second big theological issue that I see in this story, the first is identity. The second is the issue of suffering. John Ortberg recently wrote, 
If you ask people who don't believe in God why they don't believe in God, their number one answer is suffering. If you ask people who do believe in God when they grew most spiritually, their number one answer is suffering. I believe that God oversees our suffering. Not that God sends it, not that God desires it, but God is there with us in the midst of our struggle and will provide a blessing when we seek the blessing, when we demand the blessing. When is it, I have wondered, that we came to believe that God's blessing should come so easily to us, as easily as a sneeze? Instead, I believe God's best blessings, God's biggest blessings come to us when we're struggling, when we are in the middle of a difficulty, when we put that difficult relationship or that difficult time in front of God's presence. When we struggle in God's presence, blessing comes. Just a year and a half ago, I was in Burundi, Africa, And toward the end of my trip, I had the opportunity to call home. It didn't come very often when we were on that trip. So I talked to Keith, and I found out that my children were doing well, my family was well, but my house was not in good condition. Keith said that he suspected there was a leak in the copper plumbing of our home that was set in the foundation, so we might have to take up some of the floors. No problem, I said. After I had seen what I had seen in Africa, homes with no floors, homes with dirt floors, I would be fine and thankful just to be in my house. I arrived home, and the flooring guys came, and they ripped up the floors, and they moved my kitchen appliances out on the back porch. And ten days later, we got a call from the elementary school nurse who said that our seven-year-old had hurt his leg playing basketball and needed immediate medical attention. Daniel had a vertical fracture in his tibia, and the casting covered his entire leg, and it put him in a wheelchair. For me to push around on the concrete floors, not stained concrete, bare concrete, that had puddles on it, and sit in a lawn chair if I was lucky enough to get a lawn chair that day. For weeks, it was a daily wrestling match for me. I woke up every morning in my corner, being pushed to the middle of the ring. But here's what I know a year and a half later. On my phone, there is a list of things that I was thankful for in that time. Things that were so immediately present to me, many people in this community are on that list, that I couldn't help but just write it down. And I haven't deleted it. It's still on my phone. But I still walk with a bit of a limp from that time. I was stunned to recognize what it was like to have a child in pain. I had never had that experience of having a child hurt so much. And I wondered early on in the middle of that pain what my friends in Burundi do when their child fractures a bone. 
It's not a matter of patience for them or a change of pain medication. Instead, I think many children in Burundi never get pain medication or a good casting. And that's the kind of limp uh, that I walk with because I know something that I wish I didn't know. But because I know it, I need to do something about it. Last of all, I noticed this year in April that every single person in my family said, remember a year ago, exactly a year ago when Daniel got that cast off of his leg and he could walk again? It was like we named that moment in time Peniel (laughs) because he had gotten his casting off and we had gotten a glimpse of God's presence face to face in the middle of our difficult time. Well, two years ago, in the middle of the night, it wasn't an intruder that set my alarm off, but it was an escapee. (laughs) My son, half asleep, sleepwalking, thought his father was outside, so he went looking for him. And that's what set our house alarm off. There's something about that image that instructs me as I consider this passage. I tend to be the one who's inside inside of the house, afraid of the intruder, when a better stance, I think, is courage, outside, looking for the struggle, seeking the blessing. Will you pray with me? Eternal God, we bless and worship and sanctify your name this day. We are assured that your divine presence walks before us and alongside of us. And that your divine presence also walks behind us, granting us new insight. So we put places where we are struggling, places where we have struggled, places where we're yet to struggle in front of you. And we ask, Lord, that you might grant healing And that you might grant blessing. We thank you and we bless you for community and for the ways that you vividly show us blessing where there are difficulties. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us respond together to the word that the Lord has brought as we declare this. Song together. Turn of events, you ask me to be your. 